Good morning, everyone. It is the 23rd of November, and I'm joined today by Alex Byrne, Richard Byrne, and Asim Kadri. Well, it was a week of fairly dramatic market moves, and the big story was these announcements from trials of COVID-19 vaccines. We saw US equity markets touching record highs again, but Alex, the European markets moved particularly sharply. Yeah, playing a bit of catch-up, I think, more than anything else. Obviously, you've had US performing fairly well throughout, despite the obvious problems with COVID they've had. But yeah, Europe has really been waiting on the vaccine with how hard it's been hit. And with that news coming through now, they've obviously got the removal of that kind of ceiling in the markets where there was before. Richard, could you give us a little more detail on a factor basis, that is the relative performance of growth or value sectors? Sure. So since the outbreak, you have seen, you know, quality growth style factors outperform on a month on month basis. Um, This is largely due to the construction of those particular factors. This is your large cap, your mega cap. And within that space, you know, you've got namely tech. So these are firms that have, you know, large economic moats, strong balance sheets, strong product lineups. Within these particular factors, they would have the higher weighting. And that's what we've seen over the last few months. What we've seen in the second week in particular with the vaccine news is value come into its own. Value typically has, you know, equities that for one reason or another are seen relatively cheap versus their peers. And because of that, and because of the way these factors are reconstructed uh, quarterly, you would have a change or a change in construction or a change in, you know, what's underlying within these factors. And could you break that down a little by sector? So value tends to be more cyclical. So with that, you've got a higher exposure to consumer staples, financials, energy, industrials, etc. All of these sub-factors would have been particularly hurt within the last Q1 or Q3. And the vaccine news has been very, very positive for these as you see um, a, a regrowth in um, energy prices, commodity prices, you know, reopening of economies. All of these will play into your more cyclical factors. So energy has outperformed in a space of nearly two weeks, close to 17%. We hadn't seen that at all over the last number of years. Energy is still down around 45%, but that will come back over time. And elsewhere, you have financials, which are another strong contributor or strong weight within the value sector. These will have underperformed and will underperform going forward, but there is scope for them to start performing well. And this is mainly due to the the macro environment and, you know, the large stimulus packages that have been released and keeping um, lending rates very, very low. That was very useful. Thank you. And is it fair to say then that value is more heavily weighted in the European markets? I think in comparison to other sectors, so the US, for example, the US is more sort of mature, more large cap, more mega cap. So within the value itself, if you look at value between the US and Europe, tech is about 20% in the US versus maybe 15% in Europe. So within that, it really comes down to the defined sub-construction between each factor. Value is more, in, in Europe, is more equally weighted versus the US, where tech has been such a strong performer over the last couple of months that it's, you know, quite a significant weighting within the US value factor. Thank you. Alex, if we move to Japan, we saw better than expected GDP figures for the third quarter. That's been partly put down to so-called Zoom boom. Could you explain that for us? Yeah, sure. Japan's benefited from a few different things. Firstly, the fact of where it is. So Asia's dealt with the pandemic far better than Western Europe and the US has. So they're able to return pretty much normality much, much quicker with much lower rates of infection. The second thing is that although Japan is quite an outwardly facing economy, it deals quite well within globalization. A lot of its product lines end up in Asia. So again, it's been able to benefit from that shift up in the GDP because they've recovered much quicker. Um, The other thing is that they do still have a pretty strong 
domestic market and the domestic market has been pretty good. It, I mean, it's never been brilliant, but it's been steady throughout. So it's been able to return to normal much quicker. And the third thing is that a large part of its breakdown in sectors is in tech, IT, robotics, automation. So things that already do quite well in this kind of environment, but have also benefited massively from the automation theme that we've had elsewhere. So where we haven't able to put people into work, it doesn't really matter because there's robots doing it anyway, that kind of thing. So they've benefited from a number of those elements. Yes, indeed. And Asim, if we can stay in Asia, there was a very significant agreement on trade for the region last week. Yeah, so last week, 15 countries in the Asia-Pacific region signed one of the largest free trade agreements ever. So the agreement, uh, which is called the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, is a multilateral pact that is intended to reduce barriers and also increase economic integration amongst the member countries. And it'll, it'll do that really by eliminating majority of tariffs and also establishing some common rules across kind of key areas. And given, I think, the deal accounts for 30% of the world population and GDP, and also given it's the first ever trade agreement between traditional rivals like China, Japan and South Korea, I think evidently it's a big step and it should, in theory, have significant ramifications for the region moving forward. Yes, indeed. But what consequences then could this deal have for the new Biden administration in the US? Yeah, so I think generally speaking, the deal should mean that the US has less of an influence in Asia, whilst China's control of the region increases. So the US now sits outside both of the main trading groups in Asia, and after President Trump withdrew from the Trans-Pacific Partnership a few years back. So the US won't really have a voice when Asia comes to setting its trading rules. This may mean that the US negotiates more kind of bilateral trade deals with individual Asian countries in order to not be further left behind. Yes, we'll watch that story play out over the longer term. But turning to the week ahead and back to Europe, Alex, this is surely the final make or break week for a Brexit trade deal. It is a very important week. To me, this is just anecdotal. It, it does seem, I would say, very slightly that the negotiations have entered this final phase where almost everything is now in its kind of final agreement. And the attitudes of both, I would say a little bit have shifted into trying to get something done in the end. I do think we're going to get something that's much more simple than really bespoke for the for the UK. It'll be much more like Australia and much more like Canada. So I don't think we're going to get any better deal than we would have done elsewhere. But I do think the next few weeks we'll see significant shifts and we'll start to see announcements that we're getting to something of an agreement. So good potential for UK markets to perform well after a long, long period of stagnation. Yes, just need a bit of compromise there. And of course, this week we'll be weighing more news from the COVID vaccine trials against rising infections and restrictions in the US and indeed Europe. In the meantime, thank you all very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.